What's up guys, David here and welcome to the Fit Pro Daily. This week we're going to take things away from the gym and the studio and we're going to look at different ways to generate leads for different parts of your fitness business. And today we're going to look at online. We're going to invite Alan Miles on to share his experience and his knowledge on growing a fitness business online and in particular doing it without having to run Facebook so in this episode, he's going to show us how to take a online fitness business to one million pounds in one year without using ads. So it's probably going to be one of those. A lot of you are going to be thinking, nah, it's not possible. But let's join in. Let's have a look and let's see if what Alan says can work. And let's give it a go ourselves and really reap the rewards. Good afternoon, guys, and welcome to today's episode. Today, we have Alan Miles all the way down in where, where West Sussex. West <laughs> Sussex. Okay. I always start the conversation off asking the person where they're, they're actually at right now, because every time we speak, it could be people from all kinds of the UK or from abroad. So it's, it's good to let people know where we're talking to people from. So thanks for coming on. I know we had this booked, was it for last week or something? Yeah, and some so. plans come and everything changed. So doing it this week now. The question I start off every single episode is, how did you get started in the fitness industry? Yeah, so um, I basically went through uh, my own weight loss transformation about, would have been about 12 years ago now. And at the time I worked in the recruitment industry um, and it, would, it was something that fitness was always, I lost about a hundred pounds in weight. So what's it like eight or nine stone? And it ended up playing a really important role to me. And I'd always wanted to make a transition into fitness. But from my perspective, I couldn't swap what I did to become a PT. So it wasn't until I would say 2018, 2019 that I really discovered um, it was actually online high ticket coaching. Um, and I came across my first business coach uh, and he convinced me to part with a large sum of money uh, with the promise of riches uh, as they all do. And I think from that perspective, uh, it was a, a whirlwind journey, but we grew very quickly. So I, I really came into the fitness industry um, in a, from the perspective of it was a passion of something I'd always wanted to do, but I wanted, I'd got to a place with my own recruitment company that I needed more time in my life. I've got five young kids and I was literally just working flat out. Um, so the promise of high ticket fitness for me was that, that golden egg it was that freedom from a from a time perspective whilst still being able to deliver a good quality of living financially um and from that point forward I've, I've never really looked back in all honesty so you you already had a business prior to becoming a fitness professional yeah so i had a recruitment business um we it was a seven-figure business so we did about 1.2 million a year um, which in recruitment terms in all honesty is it was a fairly small recruitment business um, but it, it was an industry I'd worked in for a long time. And we got to a point, it was a partnership that I had with um, uh, some other people. And I just got to a place where I was like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm done. I, I need more time in my life. But yeah, we built a, a good business. Like 1.2 million a year is a, is a good business. We had a nice life from it. Um, so I was certainly very grateful for that side of it. But um, growing up, I grew up without out my dad. Um, he passed away at a very young age. So being a, a father to me was a really, really critical part of um, life. And for me, I didn't want to miss out on it. You know, 
when you sometimes feel like you can see your whole life passing you by um, in front of your eyes. Uh, so I, I wanted to take some action to really change it. So I actually sold uh, my half of the business and um, moved into online high ticket. Got a lot of uh, a lot of raised eyebrows from all of my peers in recruitment. They're like, "You're going to do what?" <laughs> and um, there was that look of, "I'm sure he'll be back." <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah, here, here we are and, and we've grown from strength to strength. So to, for somebody who is running a, they're in the current, they're in the job currently, or like they've got their own business. So that's outside of the fitness industry. How did you know when the right time was to go from job A to becoming a fitness professional full time? Yeah, I think, I think that's a good question. For me, I set myself a time frame. And I think this time frame will vary from person to person, depending on what they're doing, what experience they've got, what their capacity is for work. Um, and for me, I set myself a three month window that I had to see if this could work or not. And I wanted it to be a case that I wanted to be able to directly replace my income. Um, and I wanted to create a buffer for between three to six months so that if I made the jump, I wouldn't immediately be in a place where I was hand to mouth desperate for sales because the moment you, you need anything, it's the moment like psychologically, everything just goes out the window. It goes from being fun to being um, a completely different beast. So I, I said, I gave myself three months and it was hard. Like, and I, I really do sympathize with anyone who is in that process. I try to straddle both sides of the fence. It is a brutal period of time, but I think you have to look at it from the perspective of if you want to do it in a short, sharp window, this is your moment. Like this is the time you either go all in and it's just like when you're in the gym, isn't it? Like you're going for a new personal best or you're deep into German volume training. You're on sets seven, eight, nine and ten. That it, The pain is there. It's that you know there's going to be something great at the end of it. Yeah. You have to just dig in in that moment and you have to really go for it and, and not be wavered from your focus. And I think it really comes down to at the front end of it, though, having that really clear focus, what is the goal? Because if it's only money, you're not going to do it. I don't believe 99% of people, if money is your only driving force, you're not going to do it. There has to be a higher purpose. Because from the perspective of for me, like, obviously, money is important. Like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, we don't need money, blah, blah. Like, I like money. I'm, I think most people who move to high ticket, like money to some degree but i think there has to be a much higher purpose so for me it was about building generational wealth and having time freedom and that was that thing that when you get up early you cut your own workout short you're working late you're working on weekends you're doing everything you can filling every moment of your life with this second business to get it launched it was really about being able to keep those things in my mind to be like okay this is a sacrifice for 12 weeks just dig deep like do it because this is going to lead to more time freedom do you want to miss another sports day? Do you want to miss another um, one of your kids' plays? Do you want to miss another time to go into classroom reading because dad's got to get to another meeting? No, I don't want to miss any more of these things. So do the work now. Mm -hmm. like, and that was the thing. It was that higher purpose that really drove it forward for me of knowing that the next time my son or my daughter said, do you want to come to the classroom and read a book with me first thing in the morning because they're at primary school, I, I was able to say, yeah, I'd love to. And to see their face light up, that for me was my higher purpose. So I think everyone just needs to find that higher purpose first of all. That will give you a bigger fire than anything. <clears throat>
Yeah, and that's the key point. It's like why most of us as fit pros got into working for ourselves. We don't want to work a job that we're stuck in. We need to make the work work for us. So you control the times that you work. You control when you want off, when you, you actually want to be working. And don't be like tied down like to that anchor in the gym that you're stuck there. So let's go back to the online stuff again. So you went from one industry to another and you went straight into online or did you do some face-to-face coaching initially? Yeah, so I went straight into online. So I'd coached people for a hobby um, in my spare time over the, the years prior to that. Um, so we'd, I'd work with a range of different people from like friends and family who would just wanted to lose a bit of weight, like my wife after her pregnancies, to then also um, working with a good friend of mine who coaches people um, professionally from a, a bodybuilding standpoint. So I was kind of privy to uh, being able to be part of that tra- side of the training as well. So there was a lot of stuff from a training perspective that I had gone through and, and done, as well as my own transformation yeah. and kind of playing around with uh, myself. So I went straight into online high ticket coaching. And I think this was a really interesting thing because I was sat there, you have this business coach and they have their program set out for you. And it was a case of you have to sell your program for this price. Like you can't go less than like $1,500. I was like, I, I can't charge $1,500. Like I, it doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, but you have to do it because otherwise you're selling yourself short. And I suppose in their mind, it was a case of, and then you're not going to hit the metrics that I know you need to hit to get to a 10K a month. But there was this real thing of imposter syndrome because it was a case of I didn't have a physique where I looked like I was chiseled out of granite and um, I didn't have loads of extra letters after my name or anything like that. I had gone, I was new. Mm. I, I felt like a newbie all over again. So for me, I kind of just, I broke ranks and I was like, well, I'm not charging 1500 quid. <laughs> I'm going to start lower, but I'm going to increase my price with each um, sale that I make. And in the space of just a few months we went from our first program we sold it was a four-month program i'll never forget it we've had one of the happiest moments ever 700 pounds and they paid in payments uh, and the coach looked at me like that's like what are you doing it's rubbish and then just a few months we were up to charging 3600 for a four-month program but the thing is i think and this is definitely something that if people are going from a gym environment to moving online, I think imposter syndrome kicks in and they feel like they they know they shouldn't give their service away cheap, but they don't, they have that imposter syndrome where they don't feel they can charge high. So they just sit in the middle, not making any sales because they can't pull in either direction. My advice would just be sell it for whatever. Like the first few sales, just sell it for anything. Like because anything is better than nothing. Yeah. And at that point, it gives you the experience. It builds your confidence and it allows you to actually get test people through. Um, so I, I think, and this is a really big thing for me and uh, something that I try my best to implement in anything that I do from a business perspective and even a life perspective to a degree, take fast action. Now, I used to be one of the world's biggest procrastinators. And um, there was a moment in my life that kind of changed a lot of things for me. So I I went through a, it was like a two year period. Um, My mum became unwell and unfortunately uh, passed away. So that was a really, obviously a bad moment because I'd grown up with just my mum. And my brother then became my rock. He was 
we'd been had a kind of a distant relationship, but he he became really my rock and I, like like a big brother does. You look up to them, and he dropped down dead, just like that. Bang! The next year, just dead. And this guy was like a hero. He seemed like he could. He was Mister Cool, Mister Confident, and I was like, oh my god! Like you've got to just do stuff. Like you have to live life. Yeah. And I think for me with business this is one of those things that people want to spend such a long time getting a plan together, mapping out every possible detail of a plan of a, in a situation that they have no genuine idea what's going to happen. And this was something that hamstringed me definitely inside of the recruitment industry. You'd sit down in a big board meeting. We were part of a large group. So it was a group that did like 120 million a year. And they would sit down for these really elaborate board meetings where we'd all have to come up with hypothetical plans for the next 12 months. And you'd be like, by month two, this plan could be completely irrelevant. Like, COVID could happen. And then what's everyone going to do? So it's that thing of if you have an idea, yes, you need to flesh it out to a degree, but you just need to bang. You just need to take really fast action and move forward with the idea because that feedback from the market will allow you to make faster adjustments than anything else. And I think whenever I've had an idea, whether it's been a good idea or a bad idea, if I have any kind of conviction behind it, I just go with it like launch it try it what's the worst that's going to happen everyone's going to say no best case it kicks off um and for most situations it'll be somewhere in the middle mm. and it's about really i think that's the the one thing that i think i see so much in in this industry because there's so many people who have fantastic skill sets who could create so much change but they are paralyzed like it's paralysis by analysis and they sit there trying to work out the perfect approach, the perfect moment to do something. There isn't. <clears throat> you just have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a key point. Uh, not going in at a price that you're, you've been told to go in at. Go with the price that you feel confident going with. And then, like you say, what we would say to most is every 10, then increase your price slowly. And like you say, after every sale, you were increasing it after every sale. Just build up slowly, go with the price that you feel confident in. So let's go back to the actual program, because a lot of people maybe watching this are studio-based or face-to-face -face trainers, and they know I'm charging. My program is this amount, and it equates to roughly £35, £40 an hour. And for that, for the program or per hour, I'm, I give them a session. So that's me with them physically for 60 minutes. Uh, I give them their meal plans. I check in with them on their phone. I can justify this price. What's different about an online program for somebody who hasn't made that jump? They're thinking about making that transition to online. What What is the program? How can you justify a, an email that has this information on to, to give them that price? Yeah, so I think from my perspective, the justification comes down to the sophistication of the problem you solve. So for me, like my ideal client is me. Like I am my own ideal client because I'm the person that I felt I could understand the best. So I was, so to clarify that, that would be an entrepreneur or a business manager or owner who has family and they value time. But I know I would have paid, someone could have said to me, I can get you your results. I can get a hundred pounds off of you and I'll show you how to keep it off forever. I would have paid every penny. I'd have paid 10, 20, 30,000 
pounds for that because it, it transformed my life. And I think that's the thing. It's that unique perspective of being able to actually see what the result did. So it's about finding somebody, not so much the, and I think everything has its place. So you've got some things like Slimming World or, or people who like to go into a group fitness bootcamp program and they're happy paying a five pound fee or a 20 pound fee or whatever it might be. That's a very different person. And you're going to have a real hard time convincing somebody who pays five pound a week to now part with three and a half grand because they might not be problem aware or they might not be aware that the problem is such an impactful thing. It's about finding that right portion of the marketplace and knowing that you provide a solution. So if you can say to somebody, well, hold on a minute, you, uh, you want to lose 30 pounds, you want to increase your energy, and in turn, you want to work on some mindset stuff, so you're going to improve your confidence as a byproduct of it, what's that worth to you? Well, if that person can then go off and get a 10,000 pound promotion over the course of the next few years, they can go find the love of their life, they could finally have a baby, they could... Um, overcome like avoid needing surgery they could reverse health concerns they could elongate their life what's that worth and i think that's the thing is that this is i think online and, and this is when covid first hit there was a lot of comparison wasn't there between face to face and online and it's like comparing an apple to an orange i think they they both help resolve the same thing but they are two very different things that can work very complementary together. And this isn't about a Zoom session. This isn't about a group workout. This is about providing solutions that are tailored to people. So it's about providing a like, custom solution around a workout and about their actual digging to that root cause rather than just simply addressing the surface level issue. So I think it's a bit, it's a much deeper thing than simply transitioning from in a gym as a PT to doing a high ticket online, they're very different things. And I think initially a lot of people look at it like, were well, you just trying to charge more for the same thing? Um, but it's, it's in my opinion, it's, it's a very different thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was a key point you made there. Like if you, all these fit pros out there, people watching this, they're getting bombarded by these fitness guru mentor people. And remember these people are not selling you they're going to give you some ad copy and some landing pages. They're actually selling you the end result. We will get your business to this end result. And this is the same, basically, I'm guessing, from what you're saying. You're not saying that you're going to get one Zoom call with me once a week. I'm going to check your my fitness pal every other day. What I'm going to give you from this 12-week program is this X result. So it's the result that you're selling rather than the actual features of the program. Yeah, yeah it's the result. It's that end result and really painting that picture and like sales is something that I love. Obviously working in recruitment, it's just basically a business to business sales job. So you spend a long time working through sales process and that kind of thing, getting a prospect to really be able to paint that picture of that ideal situation. Right? It really gets them emotionally bought in, which is an incredibly powerful thing. If you can get somebody like excited about that prospect or and you know you can definitely help them get to there if they if they take the action I mean, you can't sell people dreams that you can't help with obviously there's got to be some responsibility there but if you help if you get them to really paint that picture and become emotionally sold on that idea that's very powerful because that that's a very different mindset isn't it to being like well i'm coming to a gym because i, I want to lose some weight yeah because for most people in that mindset they think it's a short-term thing until someone falls in love with exercise or something like that. And they make it more of their routine to start off with. 
the entry point is very different. It's a, I'm going on holiday. I want to look good. Um, so it's a temporary thing. And then that's where you pick up people who fall into that trap, who are actually trying to make a lifetime change, but they think that they can do something for a short period of time and that those results will stick. But actually it's the habits underneath it that need to be reprogrammed to really help them to achieve the longer term goal. Cool. Okay. So we've decided we're going to become an online fit pro. We now have an idea of the program we're going to, we're going to present. We know kind of roughly what prices we're going to go with. And then you mentioned slimming world to a business owner or uh, weight watchers to a business executive. There's a big difference in audience, in income, in a lot of different things. How do you decide or how do you figure out to repel those and retract those how do you kind of work out let's say the avatar of the client you want to work with so i think to, for me this comes down to having a like holistic understanding of who the ideal client is so by holistic i just mean complete so a complete understanding not just simply what's their goal as in they want to lose 20 pounds and they and demographically who they are so that information can be useful in the sense of I, I work with 35 to 60 year old men who, or women who have X job and whatever, but it's about understanding underneath that, really being able to dig into the holistic aspects of well, what do they do? Where do they hang out? What's their life about? What's important to them? Uh, what kind of car do they drive? What kind of car do they aspire to drive? Where do they live? What do they aspire to like, have? Because you find people in different places because it's the messaging that you put out that will passively either attract or repel people so to me and i think this is one area that um like a british marketplace and a u.s marketplace are very different from the angle of if i was a u.s coach you see a lot of like u.s influencers they're very blunt they're very direct and it's something that just sits fine with most of them um they're able to like aggressively repel people like whereas Although there are some exceptions to this rule, for the most part, most people that I speak to anyway, especially who are British, they don't feel comfortable with being that blunt or that direct. So to passively polarize somebody, so start creating content and putting content out there that speaks only to your ideal client. Your people naturally will either self-select or they'll block it out. So if you start talking about the struggles of being a, um, a dad with three kids, well, if you're not a parent and you don't have young kids, if you're talking about young kids, well, you're immediately just gonna start tuning out unless you sit in one of those gray areas. So if, if I put a piece of content out about being 36 years old, having three kids and the struggles of kids under 10 years old whilst trying to work out and eat, and I put some content together, if I was a 25 year old guy, had no interest in settling down, didn't have a partner, didn't have kids, I wouldn't even pay attention to it. If I was a grandma, who had young kids, like young grandkids who were um, just coming into my life, well, they'd be in the gray area because they're, they're not a dad, they are a grandma, but they've now got grandkids that are that kind of age. So now it's about understanding, I might be talking to dads, but a grandma has actually been attracted by my message because it appeals to her life. And that's, that's how you start to passively attract people in they start to align with your message and then it's about people understanding okay well if i consume more of this person's content and watch more of their stuff am i drawn closer or do i just sit on the fringe and think 
oh, Alan has some good ideas, but not really quite aligned with where I'm at. But I, I can take some bits from it, still yeah. add value, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a massive point as well, because you'll see trainers or fitness businesses are still not 100% convinced on who it is they want to work with. And then one day they're talking about how to lose four stone uh, to look your best at your wedding. And then they're talking about how to get a six pack ready for the Ibiza beach body with the boys. Yeah. And you know I mean, if you're a prospect and you're in the, the mass serious weight loss category, and then you're seeing them talk about six pack and lads holidays and stuff you're going to be really confused and like maybe this isn't the right person for me and then you've just shot yourself in the foot because you're you're focusing on too many different variables yeah yeah i think that's the thing isn't it it's especially when you're looking at high ticket it's it's more important to be the master of one thing than it is to try and appease an entire marketplace that's that to me that's a low ticket product that gives broad advice it's very difficult to be, unless you are some Jedi master and you've got the proof to be able to do it. But even then, at that point, it's not going to be your content that attracts people. It's going to be your status that attracts people. Um, so if you were to go and find Phil Heath, like, um, like an Olympia athlete, and you were massively overweight, you'd be going to Phil Heath, not because he has massive experience in helping people who are morbidly obese. You'd be going to him because of his status as Mr. Olympia, however many times he's won it. He must have fantastic knowledge and I want to get close to him. That's not that down to his content at all. So it's, I think it's important from a content perspective to be really clear on your messaging and the people you see who do this the best, whether it's through a Facebook group or just through their content, they will talk about the same things over and over and over again and come at it from every different, different angle, because it's about finding that thing that you can hang your hat on that. And it's usually very rarely, is it the thing that you actually think it's going to be? Um, it will be a case if you'll put some content out one day and if you track your metrics, which I think is important to every month to like go through and understand what's my base level of likes, what's my base level of engagement. And all of a sudden you'll see something that spikes and you're like, oh, okay, that's weird. I didn't think anyone would even care about that piece of content. You're going to repeat it, like do it again, do more content like that. Do you get better engagement? Then play around with the media type. If you've written something about emotional eating that caught fire and it was a long form copy, Try a video, try a video with subtitles, try a video without subtitles, what works? And I think marketing is such a, um, a funny topic in that there's very few things that are right or wrong. It's testing constantly. Like you get people will say like, well, how do I do this? Well, you test it. Well, how do I do it correct? test it <laughs> like, and that's the thing it's the same with ads isn't it like you need to test things there's a formula to get things up and running to a degree but the real optimization of things and it's no different with organic comes down to the testing because everyone's market is slightly different even if you had two people who both wanted to work with busy mums they both are going to come across cross differently they're both going to connect with a different segment of that demographic and their content is going to be perceived differently. So it's about testing what works for you because it's a unique process. Okay, so now we're finally at the stage of what this episode is called. We've come up with a price. We know what we're talking about. We know what we're offering. We know our tag audience and everything. And we've labeled this, uh, this episode building a seven-figure business without running ads. Mm -hmm. So how do we find clients for our fitness business online? So I think like, I'm a big fan of organic. 
I have nothing against ads. I have used ads in the past, like many moons ago. Um, and I think they have a place. I think organic is one of those things that is looked at like um, the ugly cousin compared to Facebook ads because it's seen as that thing that you just test with. You do it one time, you maybe join a Facebook group and find one person who will buy your program one time and then you're like, okay, great, I've got validation, I want to use ads. If you use organic properly, it becomes something that is just as predictable as ad revenue. And it's really about creating a process that is scalable. Uh, that, and that's the, the key thing. So the first part to me is finding which platform do you like the most? Because some people like Instagram, some people like uh, Facebook, some people like LinkedIn. Your ideal client, it doesn't even matter who your ideal client is, your ideal client, unless there's a very, very specific thing, um, they're on all of these platforms. They're everywhere. And you can build a seven-figure business with just one platform if you want. So it's then really about which platform do you feel most confident on? Once you have that platform, it's about building a strategy around that platform. So if you used Instagram as an example, it's about reaching out to people. Like it's about, it is about, and people, this might be an unpopular opinion, but in Instagram, it is about getting in the DMs. Because if you don't have a following, you've got to find people from somewhere. You can have the best idea in the world, but if you go stand in a cupboard and shout about it, no one's going to hear. This doesn't mean you pitch people. And I think this is the biggest problem that you see with people is that they miss out too many of the steps. They try and condense everything down in the sense of they want, everyone wants to go from idea to sale like that really quickly, but we need a connection. Like we need to, the prospects are inundated. I think fit pros probably must understand this just as much as their prospects understand it. Cause they're being hit up by business coaches every five seconds uh, in the, in the DMS, but it's about understanding how do you like to communicate? Because that's the thing, isn't it? Like I communicate differently and have a conversation differently to somebody else. But if somebody, and I'll never forget this actually. And the reason I came to this place was a business coach said to me, you have to communicate in a specific way and you have to send specific messages. So he gave me a script. I'm from the UK. That coach was from America. First message he had me sending was, what's up in your world? I don't even know what that means. And somebody said to me, they replied to a DM. They were like, what do you mean? And it for me, like, it was that moment where I looked at the message and I was like, I don't know what to say. I was like, I don't know what I mean. <laughs> and at that, from that point forward, I was like, okay, this has to be authentic to me. I bumped into somebody on the street what would I say well personally I'd say hello like so I start off by just trying to get a conversation started and I think that's the important part of it just trying to have some dialogue you don't need a long conversation we're not trying to become their new best friend but we do need to have a conversation the reality of this is that a lot of people aren't going to want a conversation at first but once you start to understand the broader picture that this is actually about a cycle like these people would be top of funnel. And it's about understanding that we want to spread that net as wide as possible inside our ideal target. We want to get as many hooks in the water as we can to give us the opportunity to catch as many fish as possible. Some of these lines aren't going to get bitten on for one month, three months, nine months, 12 months. It takes time. Not everyone is ready to buy today. So it's about looking at it as a cycle. Okay, what's my process going to be? The first part of building a business where you can make seven figures in a year without using ads, anything like that, even six figures in a year, whatever the number is for you, the first thing is to do. And it's to go like aggressively out there, as in taking large amounts of action, 
uh, on your ideal platform. So if it's Facebook, you're going to be using groups more than anything else. Again, there's nuances to it. If you go to weight loss for men as a group, you're not going to get any sales because it's the wrong type of group. It's yes, it's, it's problem aware as a group, but it's so filled with people. You're going to be pitching to other personal trainers because they've taken an idea from some free content they saw somewhere and they've not executed properly. Just like the prospect who's the weight loss client has the understanding that I need to create a caloric deficit to lose weight, but they're not actioning it properly. It's about getting to those niches and those sub niches. And that's where understanding your avatar to a deeper level is so important because if you can understand those nuances of who they are as a person, where are they on Facebook? Like when I wanted to lose weight, I wasn't in a weight loss group. I was still in groups to do with things that I liked. So I was in American football groups. I was in season ticket groups. I was in nice car groups. I wasn't in a Ferrari owner group because I don't own a Ferrari, but I was in the kind of places where I can admire things and because it's aspirational. Uh, and it's about understanding. Sometimes people are really headed in the right direction with it. And they are like, okay, well, my ideal client not, likes nice things. So I'm going to join a Rolex group. And you're like, you were really close, but you've almost gone too far now because it's hard to start a conversation in that place with somebody. You've got the right idea. You have an understanding of what they're looking for, but now you've snookered yourself. Like it's, it's checkmate because they're going to say, show me a picture of your Rolex. And you're going to go, I don't have a Rolex. And they're going to say, get out of my group. <laughs> and it's, there's no natural conversation and flow there because you're showing up looking for the sale. If we just show up looking to have a conversation and then we start to drive it forward and then these actions, they start to compound because once we understand, okay, I need to talk to somebody, process is simple, isn't it? Talk to somebody, get them on a call, have a sales call, ideal situation, sell them. If not, we create a follow-up process. We need to know our metrics. So what's my goal financially? Reverse engineer it, first of all. That's going to give you some baseline understanding of, okay, what do I need to do as a minimum? Add 10% to it to give you a safety net. And then at that point, you want to review those metrics on a weekly basis to understand, are they still accurate? Am I outperforming those metrics? Am I underperforming those metrics? And if I'm underperforming them, why am I underperforming them? What do I need to work on? And it's, uh, it's hard. Like it's hard work. If you've never worked in sales, there's a lot of rejection. Uh, and I think when you look at the energy type of type of energy, like PTs and a lot of fit pros, have really clean energy like they we do it for a reason because we care about helping people that's a very clean energy isn't it and if you look at the scale you've got mother Teresa at the top super clean energy does everything selflessly only wants to heal the world and then you've got the other end of it like the wolf of wall street the bottom end of it or conor mcgregor that type of person very selfish focuses only on themselves that's sales to its deepest level isn't it and it's about finding that balance if you've not been exposed to high levels of rejection it hurts like we used to burn through trainees in our recruitment business i remember somebody left at lunch one time just because they had the phone hung up on them so many times by people like people are brutal especially when they're not in front of you and it's a, behind a keyboard or on a phone and it's really about being able to understand and, and build your own processes to be able to manage it so a great coach said to me once about before a sales call as an example showing up to that call like a doctor so I want to build some rapport with them. But actually, before I even get on that call, get yourself in the right place. Why are you getting on this call? It's not for a sale. If you're getting on the phone, on the sales call for a sale, 
you're not making the sale in my opinion you need to show up to do the right thing which is to add value mm. so if you show up to the phone call knowing that actually my first priority is doing the right thing for this person well at that point the call is now different we're not trying to force feed them our program we're now trying to help them the best way we can and through the process of the call we need to identify will our program genuinely get them to where they want to get to if it does well then we're using our clean energy actually now to help somebody we don't need the dark energy now so much because now we're coming from a place of purpose and a place of value and it aligns with us it feels natural we don't need a sales script because we can just talk from the heart about why our program is right for them, why we put our program together and how we're going to help them achieve it. That is more powerful than any sales script, any sales pro could ever put together because it's it's legitimate. And I think that's the, the part of it. And it's a break it down into like three main areas. When you're first starting out to get your business up and running. You just need to take massive action. You need to pre-sell your program. You need to get clear on your idea. You need to have a rough idea of your offer and you need to go pre-sell it. Don't spend any time building the program until you have sold it. And you need to make sure the people coming into the program know that they're pre-sales. So that it's, again, it comes from a place of honesty and transparency and you're going to build the program around them so you can make adjustments as you go. Well, now you're being paid to build your program. There's no financial outlay. So I love PT distinction. Uh, from my perspective, well, the program's covered. The cost of setting everything up is covered by those first pre-sales. And no matter what you charge them, as long as you charge them something. And then at that point, well, now we've got traction quickly. We've got paying clients fairly quickly if we've taken consistent action. And now we're already cash positive as a business. Now it's about repeating that process until we get to like a first marker, like that place where we start to feel a bit of strain and a bit of stress. I'm struggling to take any more people on. That's that first break point. And to me, at that point, that's when you exit the launch process, like a rocket taking off it or coming back into the atmosphere. It goes through massive stress. Well, once you breach that, now you go into a stabilization period. So it's about taking a deep breath. It's about understanding, okay, what's the landscape now? What's working? What isn't working? And this is where you create your systemizations. You create your operating procedures based on the things that are working, not on the things that sound good or that some billionaire told you was a great idea. Things that actually are working in your business. You process, you create your processes, you create your um, metrics, but you really create your Bible of how to run your business. And you do it in a detailed way so that you could give it to a stranger and they could complete the process. So like my wife is my, is my guinea pig. Any process I ever create in my business, I give it to her, go do it. Like, see if you can do it. And if she can't do it, you take it back to the drawing board, you correct it until it works. Because at this point, now you can scale organically because you can build a team. Like I use a, a, a appointment setters, VAs. They're incredible people. And obviously we have sales closers as well. Like VAs, if you get a good VA and you don't try and be cheap because you can get them very cheap, because they obviously generally live places like the Philippines, things like that. If you pay a good wage and you really try and get the very best you can, so focus on paying a little bit more rather than just saving a couple of dollars, you will get somebody who not only has fantastic experience in what they do, but you're also going to get somebody who's bought into the success of your business. And you can then start to scale these processes exponentially. I mean, obviously you get a cap with how much cold outreach you do, but if you spend time 
having a structure in place so that that drips in constantly the cold and you work on working your actual audience consistently there is very limited caps on those things unless you're doing very scripted actions and you're doing them very quickly like uh, it's about being able to connect with more and more people um, inside of your audience and have those conversations and if you've created your processes properly and replicated what it is that you want to do then the your team can emulate that for you whether they're acting as you or they're acting as themselves inside of your community and at that point you then can really focus on growing in a, in a more time leveraged way so you mentioned audience are you talking about we if instagram was your thing hashtags uh, stories reach outs and build your followers up and that will be your audience or you say we need to take them from instagram and put them in a new email newsletter and be emailing daily and that's where our main audience is based or do you yeah. have a few different audience locations yeah so you'd have a few different audience locations i think first of all the, the easiest audience to build is on social media so through your own personal profiles so taking people from hashtags if it's on instagram bringing them to make them a follower uh, going through normal processes to help add to your followers so like commenting on other people's posts like friending and then and friending them once they've become your friend if you're on facebook reaching out to people in communities um adding and that obviously updates then your suggested friends list uh, adding people consistently and those are trickle feeds that come in but they compound it's like interest isn't it like it compounds over time if you're consistent with the action before you know it like you will find something that will really catch fire if your content is consistent if you're consistent with all the other actions sooner or later it's not like you've got one swing of the bat and you've got to hit a home run it's like well you're just gonna keep swinging keep swinging keep swinging and eventually you're gonna hit the ball like the best m major league baseball players in the world i think they hit the ball a third of the time and they get paid millions of dollars to do it so if you can only hit a third of the time well you're going to be in pretty good company so it's just about that consistent action and then all of a sudden you'll see certain things that spike your audience uh, but then over time you build your email list to me that forms part of the stabilization process uh, once we've got that initial launch underway we'll have collected emails naturally as we go anyway from sales but now it's about systemizing it okay well i've got these emails what am i doing with them probably nothing okay let's put them into a system active campaign a weber wherever or somewhere let's do something with them. Let's, let's put them through a sequence. Let's add things to them. Let, let's just do, add some value. And then they, again, forms part of your follow-up process. Cool. And then the final part of the whole thing then is the actual sale itself. How, how do we do this if we're an online business? Are we just sending them a Stripe or PayPal link? Do we get them to bank transfer? Uh, how do you take payments for an online fitness business? Yeah, so I, I use Stripe. Uh, wherever I can, very occasionally PayPal. Reason that I like Stripe um, is from the perspective, I like to be in control of the process. So I will collect payment on the call. So either I'm on a, a Zoom sales call or a phone sales call, I'm going to collect the payment on the call. And at the very least, I'll collect a, a deposit. Um, because in reality, we're making an emotional sale. And yes, we logically close the person so that we, we limit the buyer's remorse. However, if you say to most people, not everyone, but most people, yeah, what I'll do is I'll send you a link over, just get that paid whenever you can, their brain will start finding reasons for them to not sign up. It will start talking them out of the sale and you'll see your close rate drop. 
you take action on the call and you make sure you've addressed any objections that they have and that's managed through that sales process, at that point, it's about, okay, well, let's get you signed up. And if someone has an objection to it, well, it's about talking it through because some people, they do want to do something their end. So you could have a checkout set up. So we, we have a, a customer checkout that we will send them if they really want to do it. And I'll sit on the phone and with them whilst they do it. Because I know, and I, I will be honest with them, and I'll say, look, I know if you hang up this phone, 99% of people, they're not coming back. Even though you know right now you want to do it, you'll find a reason to not do it because you're probably a little bit scared. You're probably a bit nervous and completely yeah. rightly so. And you can put guarantees in place for people and refund policies so people are protected um, so that they don't feel like, oh my God, I'm going to like lose my money here or something. But it is really important to collect that payment in my opinion, anyway, on the call. Um, and I, I like to use Stripe. I like everything in one place. Um, it just makes life easy. Because um, you get to a place where, like, obviously they charge a processing fee, but it's not too bad of a fee, I don't think. And you can withdraw money instantaneously after a while. Yeah, that is definitely one of the big things. If, if you're letting somebody have the opportunity to pay after the call, the chances of them paying after the call are slim to zero. So uh, yeah. get it on the phone. Okay, so let's go through any final organic lead generation tips that you may have to finish this episode off with. Yeah, so I would say um, the biggest thing to remember, keep it simple, uh, definitely. Focus around um, a few main areas. So focus around your content, getting like passively polarizing content out there. Um, and make sure you use that content to your advantage. If you create some long form copy or you create a video, break it into loads of different pieces of content. You can take one big bit of content and you can create multiple pieces from it just to save you time um, in the long run. Um, you want to focus on your communities. So whether it's a case of you're on Facebook and you're going to look at Facebook groups, whether you're on Instagram and you're looking at hashtags or whatever it might be, or even if you're in your actual local community, like these principles hold sound here um, make sure that you engage with the community like don't try and sell a community work with it add value to the community because if you can demonstrate that you're a leader in your space if you can demonstrate that you care about helping people people naturally gravitate to you and that's where your content captures them um, speak to your contacts regularly and this is one of the things we focus so much on growing our following number but we never speak to them like ever, you've got like 4,000 people on your Facebook or however many people, like 13,000 people on your Instagram. How often do you speak to them? Reach out to them in the DMs. Like on Facebook, they even make it easy for you. You just go to who's online right now. Send them a message, say hello. Because the first few times they might ignore you. They might be busy. They don't know who you are potentially if you've cold added them. By the time you get to the fourth, the fifth, the sixth time, they're going to have seen your name enough times that they're either going to say, can you stop messaging me? In which case, they'll unfriend you. Well, it's great because that makes a bit more space for somebody who wants to be there. Alternatively, they're going to start a conversation with you and you're going to start to be able to add value. Over time, they're going to form part of a wider community and that then leads to them consuming your content. And the final thing is don't be afraid of cold outreach. Like so often people are, are turned off by cold outreach because it's done wrong. Just like people are turned off by people with sleazy chat up lines. It doesn't mean that it's not okay to go up to somebody you find attractive and say, hey, how you doing? Could I buy you a drink? I'd love to have a conversation with you. It doesn't mean you have to be sleazy. You don't pitch in the DMs. Don't 
focus on the wrong thing. Focus on adding value. If you reach out to somebody in need and you can offer them help, sometimes people are just going to say no. And that's fine. That's obviously their prerogative. Don't take that personally. Cold outreach is one of the fastest ways to grow a business. And if you were to look at any offline business or any big business, you look at their client acquisition models, they all involve cold outreach. You have an entire industry when you look at the recruitment industry that is built on cold outreach. It's a necessary evil. It's one of those things that forms part of a successful business. And if you do the things that other people don't want to do, you will grow faster than you could ever imagine. Um, so yeah, those are probably be my final tips. No, they were good tips. I think like you said, that's uh, the fear of reaching out cold DM. And even if it's someone you became friends with years and years and years ago, but you've never actually spoken to them is a little bit, scary sometimes yeah. knowing what to do how to start that conversation and i say not to sound sleazy okay so for people who are quite interested now in launching an online business or maybe they've already got an online business set up but it's just not going in the right direction how can they learn a little bit more about you or have a chat with you in some way yeah so if you um, follow me on facebook i uh, just so just send me a friend request or drop me a message uh literally uh, facebook.com slash alan miles so a double l a n uh, M-I-L-E-S, or you can go to my website, alanmiles.com, all nice and simple. Uh, just remember, Alan is spelled a bit different, so A-L-L-A-N, um, and you can drop a message in there, and it'll be myself that comes back to you. Um, if you message me on Instagram, it will be my team. If you message me on LinkedIn, it'll be my team. Facebook is my one platform that I like to keep hold of myself, so if you do want to speak directly to me, just drop me a message on Facebook, and I will always come back to you. Um, and we can have a conversation. And if nothing else, give you some value to make sure that you can move forward. And that's really the thing, I think, from my perspective, it's really about helping people to move forward in the industry because I know how much health and fitness transformed my life. So it's about taking the skill set that there's so many amazing people out there that just are stuck. And this is marketing 101, isn't it? Like the best product doesn't win, it's the best none that wins. And you can see that in anything like Coca-Cola is a prime example. It's a substandard product. It's not a great product, but yeah, it's a market leader because of how they get their product everywhere. And it's about doing the same, but taking people who have genuine life-changing uh, abilities and get them in front of the right people. And that's what we're here to do. Alan, appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on. And I'm guessing we'll get you back on at some point in the near future. Fantastic. Thanks, David. No worries. Thank you. Yes, so that was Alan sharing his experience and his knowledge on how to grow a fitness business online to seven figures without running Facebook ads. It is one of those things that you have to dedicate a lot of time to the stuff he was saying about reaching out to prospects, feeling comfortable, starting conversations and building from there. But the more consistent you can stay, the more yeses you're going to get, the more sales you're going to make and the more you're going to grow your fitness business. So I'm going to leave it there for today. Like I said, this week is all about finding different ways to generate revenue or different ways to grow your fitness business away from the gym or studio. So if you love what we've been talking about today, do, do subscribe, do comment below let us know what you thought and i'll speak to you all tomorrow cheers